if you take a seat with me. I'm just overwhelmed this morning, and I have to tell you that uh, we had my boss, uh, he comes in every once in a while and challenges me to be a better pastor, and the last time I met with him, he said, Lindsay, what is, what do you want your church to look like in 10 years? What kind of church do you want to lead? And you guys, I, I had no idea what I wanted when I was getting into ministry, but our church is the kind of church that I want to lead in 10 years. I want to lead a church that where people like Jackie can share about freedom. Uh, where people at Habitat for Humanity know our name. Uh, where, where people can go through discipleship with Pastor Kurt. And I'm so grateful for the things that God is doing in our church. And I believe that we are at a part of a new season in our church. And I'm so excited to celebrate baptism and, and to pray together for our neighborhood next week. And, and I just want you to know that I hope that I'm on the list of people that when you think of people that champion you, because I, I have such a heart for you, <laughs> and I love you so much, and I hope that you know that, and I'm so grateful to be your pastor. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for the things that you are doing in our church. Lord, thank you for the freedom that is made so normal in this, in this building. Lord, thank you for showing up in the hardest parts of our lives. Jesus, thank you for giving us opportunities to, to reach out to our neighborhood, to be a part of this neighborhood, to be a part of this community. Jesus, we thank you for the ways that you, you have called us to be disciples, that you have grown us. Jesus, I, I just pray blessing over each of these individuals this morning. Lord, that you would continue to call us closer and closer to you. Lord, that we would continue to be a church that looks more and more like what you want it to look like. Jesus, we do all of this for you. We do all of this for your glory and for your honor and for your namesake, that it may be projected throughout this city, throughout our nation, throughout our world. Lord, that people would come to know who you are. Jesus, we praise you for the salvation that's happened recently in this building. Lord, we pray, praise you for the, the rededications that have happened recently in this building. God, we praise you for the freedom. God, that we don't deserve, but that you offer freely. Lord, we love you so much, and we trust you, and we depend on you. You alone are our God, our Savior, our Messiah, our friend. Jesus, can we depend on you a little more each day? It's in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, good morning. Man, I'm like really excited about drums. I'm just going to say it again. 
Um, if you haven't met Levi yet, meet him. He's great. And he has an amazing wife, too. So meet them. And also, like, yay team for percussion. Um, <laughs> good morning. Uh, I'm excited to talk with y'all this morning. Uh, I, yeah, I've loved this series. And I love hearing testimonies from people because sometimes it feels like I'm just this talking head <laughs> once in a while that you listen to once a week, but it's so much bigger than just Sunday morning, is it not? Um, it's so much bigger than just coming to church on a Sunday, but experiencing the love of Christ. And so um, this week as I was preparing, I was trying to figure out how to start this sermon, and um, I logged into Facebook, and Facebook is becoming a different sort of monster for me. Um, I've had a Facebook account for t like over 10 years now, okay? Um, that used to not be the case because Facebook was new, you know? But now, Facebook has this wonderful feature where it shows me pictures of myself from 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And so like, and I'll be going about my business doing normal things. <laughs> not anticipating like having to deal with any you know deep-seated regret and then boom there's that haircut you know <laughs> and i look at it and i think god oh, darn it uh you gotta stop it facebook you just gotta stop uh, <laughs> but but i look at these pictures and i get so irritated because i look at them and i think man if i knew then what i know now life would be different you know if i knew that shaving the side of my head was not going to be something that I would love to do and grow out for two years after that. I would have done something different, you know? Do you ever have those moments where you look at pictures or you think about things, you're like, if I only knew what was coming next, you know? If I knew then what I know now. And last week, Pastor Valerie gave you a very compelling sermon illustration um, about how she likes to scare me in my own home. Uh, and if you missed that, I'll give you a summary. Uh, the gist of it is that Valerie is a cruel, cruel woman. Uh, and, and she and I scare very easily. I'll be honest with you. Like the other day, Dwayne came into the church, warned me he was here, yelled from the front door, hey, is anybody in here? Comes to my doorway in my office, and I jump. And it just happens naturally. I don't know. But um, one thing that I felt like I needed to say my side of the story of what had happened was, um, so she came in <laughs> to my room while I was brushing my teeth and getting ready for bed. And when you walk into my room, there's like a pretty sizable space. Then there's my bed. And then between my bed and the wall, there's about this much room. And she snaked down there <laughs> onto the floor and kind of under my bed and waited until I was most vulnerable. <laughs> And then she jumped up and scared the living daylights out of me. Living daylights out of me. And what she didn't tell you, well, she told you that I went and grabbed the squirt bottle, and I just started spraying. And I'm not kidding you, I sprayed, I aimed for the eyes. I was like, gotta get the kill shot, you know? <laughs> but what she didn't tell you is that she picked up my sweet, innocent, tiny, beautiful dog, Lucy, and used her as a human shield. <laughs> Okay? <laughs> um, yes, so just so we're clear. And you're right, and she was right in saying that if our friendship ever ends, it's probably going to be because she scared me too, too well. Um, but if I would have known 
that Valerie was hiding beside my bed. If I would have known then what I know now, things would have played out a little differently. I would have grabbed the squirt bottle right away. You know, I would have locked my door so she couldn't run away from me. <laughs> I would have hid my dog, apparently. Um, and I, I would have prepared myself, okay? See, if I knew then what I know now, things would be different. And I posed a statement to you a couple weeks ago, and it says, if we knew what Jesus knew, we would pray like Jesus prayed. You know, and we've been looking at this, this whole series about how Jesus performed these beautiful, miraculous things. Like he fed thousands of people, and he healed people, and he raised somebody from the dead. And yet at, at his ministry, his disciples were most curious about how he prayed. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know if I'd be the same. I'd want to know how you made the dead guy come alive. Okay? But they said, teach us how to pray like you. Teach us how to pray like you. And when that happens, we get the Lord's Prayer. He says, this then is how you should pray. Now, I'm going to read it. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you know it, you're welcome to speak it along with me. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, there's something that Jesus knew that I think is intrinsically important about our prayer life. There's something that he knew then that if I know now, it would change me drastically. If I knew now, it would change how I pray. Kevin Myers, he says, we think too little of prayer to give it big time. When Jesus thought too big of prayer to give it little time. And so today, uh, when we read that ending of that, that prayer, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation, it teaches us this one thing, that daily prayer requires daily dependence. And, and he, you could flip that. Daily dependence requires daily prayer. <laughs> that we have to pray daily, that it's this ongoing conversation between you and the Lord. And that is a little frustrating, because in my mind I think, you know, if I cover my bases once, I can just be done with it, you know? Like, I prayed the prayer, now life should be good. But nothing in life really works like that, does it? You know, think about eating food. You know, you eat breakfast, if you're like me, you're hopefully grab like a banana and a granola bar while you're speeding to whatever you're supposed to do. Um, you get breakfast, you eat it, and then by lunchtime, you're hungry again. How annoying is that, you know? And, and imagine if somebody were to come up to you and say, you know, I quit this eating thing. And you say, well, why? It doesn't work. I eat and I'm full, and then an hour later, I eat again because I'm hungry. I never get full. And we'd say, no, no you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand this process. Same thing happens with your gas tank, right? You fill it up, you drive for a while, you drive for a few miles, a few days, a few weeks, depending on what you drive, and then you run out of gas. Now, I have a story about this. My, uh, when I was growing up, my family had a 99 Venture van, and I have a picture of what that would look like. Oh my gosh, I love this van. 
okay? I don't know what it was about it, but when we got it, I was nine years old, and I was just convinced that this was like the Mercedes of all cars, okay? It had not one, but two automatic doors. You know, where you press the button, right? It was perfect, and I loved this van. And then one day, it started making noises, it started causing problems, and Dad decided we were going to trade it in. I was crushed. I cried. I'm not kidding you. Um, I was crushed because I loved this van. We had been through stuff together. Um, he didn't get it, but he decided that we were going to trade it in. Now, in order to trade it in, we had to drive <laughs> this van. My sister had to drive this van with me an hour west to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and drop it off at the dealership, which I think it was pretty twisted, okay? If I was really sad about getting rid of this van, and then he's going to make me take it to the dealership that's taking it away, that's pretty messed up, but whatever. I, I have counseling, it's fine. Um, but, but we get in the car, and I remember I left out of the door that day, and I get out, and my dad, who is and was and will forever be the cheapest man I've ever met in my entire life, he is siphoning the gas out of this van, <laughs> okay? He did not want to give any gas to the dealership. And this is before you had like that digital screen that says how many miles until your car breaks down, okay? This was just Dan's best guess on how, long, or how much gas it would take for me to get from, or for us to get from my house to an hour away in Sioux Falls, okay? So, lovely. So we jump in, and my sister and I start driving, and that day I learned the meaning of running on fumes, okay? We left the house with a 99 Chevy Venture van with less than a quarter of a tank, okay? Yeah, my dad's crazy, right? Cheap, wonderful, crazy, okay? And we start driving, and I was having the time of my life. You know, this was like our victory lap, you know? I got one more ride in the van. My sister, on the other hand, freaking out, okay? Uh, we get closer and closer to Sioux Falls, and as we do, the car starts doing some weird things. It starts getting a little jerky. It starts getting a little weird. Aaron starts sweating. Aaron starts crying. Aaron starts freaking out. And over here, I'm there like 10 years old, being like, what a time to be alive! <laughs> this is wild. I wonder if we'll make it. And she's like, what do we do if we break down on the interstate? And to this day, this moment haunts both of us. <laughs> uh, not haunts. It doesn't haunt me, but it haunts my sister. If she gets under a half a tank, she races to the gas station. Anybody like that? You freaks. Whatever. I, on the other hand, I have one of those little digital things and I get down to the last mile. <laughs> I have gotten down to five miles until my car won't start. And, and I don't know why I'm like it, but I do that. And, and I think that this is what happens in anything in our lives. You know, we fill it, we ride it, we drive it, we do whatever, and eventually we have to refill it. And we don't like that. It's the same as true in relationships. You know, you do something really great for your spouse or your friend or your girlfriend or your brother or whatever, and then a week later, they expect more from you. That's annoying. And then people say, oh, I've given up on relationships. They don't work. And I, that's not true. Your stomachs, your gas tank, and your relationships, they're not broken. Your expectations are... This is not a one-and-done situation, and the re your relationship with the Lord is the same. He pours into us, 
and we pour out. We pour out praises, we pour out our lives, our worship, our prayers, and there's a problem with our expectation that it's going to be one and done. And I hear people say, you know, I don't pray anymore. It doesn't work. I prayed once. I didn't get what I wanted. I prayed to be filled. I felt filled. But then the next day I didn't. And we get into this place where we say, no, it doesn't work. I've given up. And just to the guy, the same thing that I would say to the guy who says, I quit eating, I'd say, you don't quite understand the cycle. You don't quite understand the process. That, that he fills us and we pour out. And you might say, Lindsay, does that mean that sometimes I'm going to feel spiritually empty? And I'd say, absolutely. Well, crud, that means, like, that ex- that, means that I'm going to have to work really hard to stay spiritually full. And I'd say, absolutely. Welcome to the daily life of a Christian, that we continually look for opportunities to be filled. And we continually look for opportunities to spill out on this world. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And somewhere we got the idea that if God were real, we'd pray once, he'd answer us, and we'd all go home. That's not God, that's a genie. Our God requires daily surrender, daily trust, and daily fulfillment. And it is so freeing once you daily depend on Jesus. It's freeing because that means that it's not all on me. That it's not all on you to protect yourself. It's not all on you to provide for yourself. It's not all on you to figure this, out, this life out. And that's why the rest of this prayer is structured as such. It's, um, and this is my main point for today, is that prayer, daily prayer teaches me to depend on God to fight for me in the most practical areas of life. That's like really wordy, so I'm going to say it again. Daily prayer teaches me to depend on God to fight for me in the most practical areas of life. And I'm talking practical, tangible, real areas of life. And the first one that he gives is food and finances. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And um, Martin Luther, when he commented on the Lord's Prayer, he said, everything that is necessary for existence is tied to that word bread which, like, I love because I love bread, right? You know, <laughs> you're like, bread is life, okay? <laughs> but, but, but this says, it says that everything necessary for the preservation of life is tied to that word bread in this prayer. That means your food, your body, physical, mental, emotional health, safety, security, home, spouse, children, government, all of it is tied to that when we say, Jesus, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day all of the things that we need. And this ha- the problem is, is that we have two degrees of this prayer because this is praying for dependence on God, for physical needs. And I see two extremes that happen in Christians. One extreme is that, man, uh, I provide my own food and finances and physical well-being. I protect, I serve, I do all of these things, and all of this is based on my hard work. And I love you, and I believe in you. You're not that good. The other side of this spectrum says, it's too selfish of me to ask God to provide for me. He's done so much already, and this might come from a really well-meaning place, 
man, I've experienced so much with Jesus. How can I ask him to provide for me? And this is what I would tell you if you are in this camp today, that God is not afraid of a material world. He made it. And he put you in it. He's not afraid of your prayers that say, God, provide for me. Now, that's not, that's not void of our own work and our own effort and our own giving God our all. But asking God to provide for us is not something that scares him. He just says that he has the ability to give us peace and confidence that he's going to provide. And in fact, uh, our Father is so aware of the things that we need, isn't he? Uh, just one verse prior to this prayer in Matthew 6, 8, it says, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That is a very interesting phrase to start teaching people how to pray, right? Like, who wants to talk to somebody that already knows what you're going to say? That's annoying. Have you ever talked with somebody and they, like, finish your sentences? You're like, just shut up. Listen to me. You know, but God, he knows exactly what you want before you even say it, which begs this question, right? Why do we pray? If he already knows what we're going to say, why do we even bother with it? I love how John Calvin answers this. He says, but if God knows what things we need of before we ask him, where lies the advantage of prayer? Not a good question. What's the advantage of me praying about it if he already knows? Then he goes on to say this. Believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him. How often do you feel like you're informing God when you pray? As if he doesn't know. Next it says, or ex of exciting him to do his duty. Duty. Or of urging him as though he were reluctant. We get this view of God that he's reluctant, right? That if I don't pray, he won't care enough to respond. And then he says this, On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom, in a word that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect both for them and the, for themselves and others all good things in short you pray for yourself like god isn't set up like monsters inc okay i don't know if you've ever seen that movie but they keep like screams in a container and i imagine that sometimes we get that same view of prayer where God needs a certain amount of prayer to exist, <laughs> that he is dependent on our prayers, and that's not true. We pray because it changes who we are, because it shows us our dependence on him. We pray because otherwise we start thinking that we are the source of all things. That otherwise we start thinking, man, I provide, I protect, I serve, I lead, I basically am God. <laughs> And we can fall into this trap. The Israelites fell into this trap. Uh, in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17, it says, You may say to yourself, My power and my strength, uh, the strength of my hands, have produced this wealth, wealth for me. 
but remember the Lord your God, for it is him who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God's like, you think you're good? Who gave you life? You know? This kind of sounds like a nagging mother, right? <laughs> like, I am your greatest good, you know? <laughs> but, but he says, uh, think about this. Like, you have this strength in your hands and in your heart and in your life. You have these gifts and abilities. Remember that they came from me and that I make that wealth possible. Even the Israelites in the desert thought that they could produce wealth. In the desert, they could produce it. And this, is where, this part of the prayer is where we learn and where we recognize that we are please and thank you Christians. That we are please and thank you children of God. That's one of the first lessons that parents teach when their kids know how to speak, right? What do we say, please? What do we say? Thank you. Please and thank you. And I, I love how Kevin Meyer says it. He said, he's a pastor in Atlanta, and he said, he prays like a boy so that he can lead like a man. He prays like a boy so he can lead like a man. I think it's intentional that God calls us his children. There's something disarming when you are called a child. When I call my dad, every time that I call him, he says, oh, there's my baby, or how's my baby doing? And I'm like, I'm 29 years old, <laughs> but I'm still his baby. And every time I call him, no matter what I have faced, I'm still dad's baby. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. We have to approach it with a childlike faith and dependence. We have to pray like girls so that we can lead like women. We need to leave our prayer time with God and we can boldly take on this world. But it means that we're not too spoiled to say please. And we're not too stubborn to be grateful. How are your please and thank yous going with the Lord? Do you have that rhythm in your life? Next one is relationships and rifts. It says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The Greek word here that is used is synonymous with sin. Uh, a really good translation would say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, who have hurt us. Now, this is very interesting because I would say, well, Jesus already forgave me, so why do I need to say it every day that Jesus forgave me? And the reason that he has us say these things, that, that God has forgiven me, is that in light of the forgiveness that I've received, I have nothing to do but to give forgiveness out. Which is really irritating because, man, people can be stupid sometimes. Right? Man, people can be dumb. People can say things that hurt us, that, that carry with us throughout life. People can do some dumb things, but let me tell you what. You are beautifully, wonderfully made, but man, you can do some dumb things too. Yesterday, I walked into a meeting that was very important, and I was wearing two different shoes. <laughs> okay? I am capable of some dumb things, okay? We were all serious, and Valerie leans over to me, and she's like, you know, I know this is serious, but man, you're wearing two different shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God oh, darn it. <laughs> we are capable of doing some dumb things. And we have to recognize daily that God has given us grace, even in the midst of our stupid moments. I love this verse in Ephesians 4, verse 7. This verse cracks me up. And if you don't see the humor in it, I'll explain it. But it says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
You're not, you don't find it funny, I get it. This is funny, because that means that how stupid we are, Jesus has apportioned enough grace for it. You know, imagine what that looks like in heaven, you know. Up, tick, <laughs> increase the grace, they did it again. Increase the grace, they did it again. And this is how we live our lives. And that, that means that we have nothing else to do but to forgive others because of the grace that has been apportioned to us. And if you're struggling with forgiving somebody, I think that the key to forgiving somebody is knowing the difference between two words. And that is bitterness and sadness. Say those with me. Bitterness, sadness. See, when we forgive somebody, we let go of bitterness. We say, I unhitch my life from the mistakes that you've made. I will no longer hold you accountable. I will no longer wait for justice to be served. I am free from you hurting me. That's what forgiveness, that's what letting go of bitterness is. Now, sadness, on the other hand, that sometimes isn't fixed by forgiveness. Uh, sadness doesn't necessarily go away when we let go of bitterness. If you have a strained relationship with one of your kids, or one of your, or you're a kid that has a strained relationship with your parent, you know this. That even though I can forgive them, man, I carry a sadness of what this relationship could have been. See, Jesus doesn't, he refuses to work in bitterness. But he loves working in grief. He loves being our comfort. He loves working in sadness and being our joy. And so if you can't forgive, maybe you say, I'm going to let go of forgiveness and I'm going to ask Jesus to help me with this sadness. How are you doing with forgiveness? And the last one is this, temptations and trials. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the word temptation that he uses here is best translated testing or trial. And what Jesus says is that when we experience the testing and the trials of this world, we live in a fallen world, they're everywhere. He says, when we have that, let us not be overcome to the point where we fall into the trap, where we give in. Listen, I think this part of the prayer kind of freaks us out a little bit. You know, food, I get. You know, I really get food. I understand food. It's tasty. It's wonderful. I can ask God to provide me a Twinkie. That's fine. Okay? I can ask for help in forgiving somebody because I know Jesus is all about forgiveness. But man, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I don't know if I need that. That kind of freaks me out, if I'm being honest with you. That's a weird part of this. And while we were walking and establishing this restorative prayer ministry, I learned so much. You know, I have a ministry degree, and I learned so much that they didn't teach me. And one of the things that I learned about, I learned a lot about Satan. And I had this realization that Satan, we give him way too much credit. We give him way too much credit. Man alive, have you ever met somebody who blames Satan for every sneeze and every mistake that they have ever made? Oh, the devil made me do it. I don't know how many songs there are about the devil made me do it. 
And we give him way too much credit. But let me tell you what, Satan is no match for our God. They are not identical. Satan is not made in the image of God. God is a creative being. Satan is not. We are a creative being, though. And we can produce circumstances. We can get into a place where we produce bad decisions, where we choose to follow something else. Satan can't. He is an opportunistic, slimy, disgusting, perverted creature. And he cannot build trials in your life. We choose them. Not that we choose for bad things to happen, but we choose to believe him in those moments. See, what he can do is that he will build lies and he will whisper them into your ear in the weakest moments of your life. He will whisper into the hardest moments of your life. We've done eight restorative prayer sessions already, and every single time I just grieve that there was a moment in time when somebody was incredibly vulnerable and Satan said the worst thing he could have said. Oh, your boyfriend hit you, you ugly, stupid, worthless woman. Oh, you have financial trouble. God hates you. Oh, your kids are mad at you. You're a garbage parent. Oh, you didn't get that job. You're a failure. Oh, you were hurt. I can protect you. Better yet, you can protect yourself. Oh, they hurt your feelings. You're going to be angry for the rest of your life. Oh, you made a mistake you stupid, worthless coward. That's how Satan works. He does not not lead us. He does not create the situations. He did not make my mom die in that car accident, but he sure as hell gave me some terrible lies to believe because of it. And the worst thing that we could possibly do is believe him. And what Jesus is praying and teaching us how to pray is say, You need to not fall into those lies. You need to not believe them. Lead us away from temptation that we don't open that website. That we don't believe the lie that that's going to work. That we don't believe that when we go to our dealer, we're going to feel better. That we don't believe that, we, that when, when we choose to hurt the ones that are closest to us, that that will actually accomplish what we want. That we don't believe that we have to sacrifice our purity just to be loved. That is Satan. He is the father of lies. He cannot create circumstances in your life, but he sure as heck can feed off of them. <clears throat> And that's what restorative prayer, it's very hard to explain, but that's what it sets out to do, is that we live in a fallen world. We experience garbage. And Satan cannot create the garbage, but man, he will send so many rats to feed off of it, to make sure that it never gets clean. Hearing Valerie's story earlier this month, man, she had a lot of garbage to deal with. She had anger and resentment and abandonment and control. Hearing Jackie share this morning of the hatred that had built up in her life. 
It's all moments where we believe the lie. The enemy would love for you to believe a lie. But Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from those lies. Let us hold them up to truth. And let us find freedom because of it. Man, Satan does, what he does is that he takes victims and he turns them in to think that they're victims of this world. You're not. You're a victim of a really good liar. And I want nothing more than to destroy him. I want nothing more than to see you walk in freedom. I want nothing more than for you to say, my chains are broken, they are gone, and I walk free into the loving arms of Jesus. See, uh, and I don't know if you need a session. That's not like today's big push or anything. But you do need a daily dependence on him that says all of the most practical needs that I have, Jesus, I depend on you for them. And I don't know where that meets you this morning. It could be in, in food and finances. It could be in physical needs. It could be saying, Jesus, I need strength to forgive them. Or it could mean, Jesus, I need to stop believing the lies that I have been believing. Would you pray with me? Would you find a posture of prayer as we enter into worship? Jesus, we want a daily dependence on you. Lord, we want to trust you with this material world. Lord, with our bills, with our finances, with the pressures that we have. Jesus, we want to trust you and we believe that you have saved us. That you have forgiven us even on our worst moments and on our worst day. God, we want to surrender that bitterness to you. Lord, and you know that it grieves our hearts. Jesus, would you minister to us today? Lord, as as we have heard these lies, as we have heard these lies being spoken that we are worthless, that we are stupid, that we are not called, that we are not gifted, that God hates us. Jesus, we don't want to believe the lies anymore. We just want to trust your truth. Lord, today I surrender the lies that I have been hearing and believing. I surrender them to the truth that I am your child. That when I pick up the phone, when I pray to you, you say, there's my baby. Jesus, that you love us like a father would. And that you will love and lead us when we seek you. Jesus, help me to seek you 